appreciate that. And uh, we have our uh, Spurs terrorist over there. Uh, Yolanda uh, wore that uh, mask to Costco yesterday. And she uh, went to the meat section. And lo and behold, the butcher in Costco had a mask on. He had a Laker mask on. So you had Yolanda there uh, with the Spurs mask, the butcher there with the Laker mask. Um, amen. It sounds like a dream, some dream. I had a dream like this. Uh, and uh, anyway, uh, God's good. Uh, and uh, we're really glad that you've joined us this evening. I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis in chapter three. And I want to minister. God has been dealing with me for some time. And, you know, I'm going to mention our present distress here, but but I am, you know, I want you to know that I'm going to preach the gospel in church. And my job is to feed God's people. Amen. And, uh, and so this is not necessarily a COVID-19 sermon. This is a sermon about uh, sinners and people that need God to help them. How many qualify for that tonight? And so we're going to go to Genesis in chapter 3. And so one of the interesting dimensions to this virus is the desire for everyone to find someone to blame. You have people that are trying to use it politically, that this is Donald Trump's fault, and Nancy Pelosi said that Trump fiddled while people died. Uh, there's a New York City Health Department person who was in charge of the Health Department of New York, uh, and uh, they're playing a video of her telling the people uh, of New York uh, to ride the subway, go out to restaurants, uh, there's nothing to fear. And so she's taking quite a bit of heat. Um, and, uh, uh, but the one that really struck me was the mayor of New York. I'm sorry, the mayor of New Orleans. Because this woman is the one who permitted Mardi Gras to go on when it was already uh, lots of uh, information about uh, the uh, virus moving through. And today, uh, uh, New Orleans is a hot spot. In fact, the death rate in New Orleans is higher than anywhere else in the United States. And she was confronted with that. And she says that uh, she, she's blaming the federal government. Uh, and the point is, beloved, is that people like to blame other people. They like to shift blame. Reminded me of the old story of the man who was on trial for killing his parents. And he said to the judge, have mercy on me for I'm an orphan. You know, this is uh, uh, the mentality of people that no matter what happens, somehow it's somebody else's fault but my own. So my sermon tonight really is asking a question. Why do we always want to blame others for the things that are going on in our lives? Why is it that somehow we can very rarely just say, I'm the man, I did it, I was wrong, my bad. But how easy it is always to look at our present situation and say it's somebody else's fault. So I want to preach a sermon tonight that I call Personal Power. Now that might be an unusual title for a sermon on blame, but I want you to understand how powerful it is to take responsibility. So let's go back to the original sin this evening and look again at what the Bible has to say about us. Because when you read about Adam and Eve, you better realize you're reading about us. In Genesis 3, verse 9, the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? 
Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. You shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And then he said, and then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. And toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return." And Adam called his wife's uh, name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Father, I ask you to help us tonight. I ask that the Holy Spirit will reach down into our hearts, break through every barrier, every wall, every time we seek to make excuse and meet us at the point of our confession in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's begin this evening and talk about the fault inside of us. So here we have our text this evening. And so we're going back to the story of the original sin of Adam and Eve. And we're beginning in this story after the actual temptation and sin. And what we're really looking at tonight is the aftermath. Because an important part of the story of man is not just that you and I are sinners, but it's what we do after we sin. And this is something that you and I have to look at, and it is revealed very powerfully in our text. Uh, three things happen very quickly uh, after Adam and Eve sinned. Number one, the Bible says there was awareness. Verse seven, then the eyes of both of them were opened uh, and they knew that they were naked. I want to say something tonight. When people sin, they know they sin. They may act stupid like they don't know they sin. Like, what? Man, I forgot that that smoking weed is wrong. Man, I spaced it out. Well, you're spacing it out because you're smoking too much weed. But the reality, beloved, is that when men sin, some deep thing down, they know they sin. Even before we were saved, even before we had Bible education, when we did wrong, our conscience bore witness. And the moment uh, they sinned, there was an awareness. Number two, the Bible said they tried to hide their shame. Verse seven, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Verse eight, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So we have a very interesting insight here that when people sin, something instantly in us is how can I cover my tracks? How can I delete this? How can I hide this? What, what do I have to do? And there are two powerful images here. Number one, there's the individual dimension. The Bible says they sewed fig leaves on. They saw that they were naked. Um, and so they said, you know what we're going to do? I'm going to clothe myself and try to hide um, my shame. Um, and I want to tell you, men and women are still wearing fig leaves to this very day. 
They're still trying to find a way so that when people look at them, uh, they don't see the shame they feel on the inside. You know, you can have fig leaves that are made of dollar bills and think I'm going to walk around with money. And when people see me and I've got money, that's going to compensate for the shame that I feel. You can do that with education tonight. You can do that by uh, uh, focusing on your uh, physical appearance and wanting people to think that you look a certain way so that people don't see what you are uh, on the inside. I want to tell you tonight, people use religion that way. They dress up in religion uh, and they do that all because on the inside they have a shame. And I'm going to cover myself up and maybe won't see, people won't see that I have shame. The Bible says not only was it individual, but it was also corporate or the crowd. The Bible says they also went into the forest. They wanted to hide among the trees. Uh, and I want to tell you tonight, there are many, many people this evening uh, that want to be the, uh, the face of the masses. Uh, they just want to move with the crowd. Uh, and their idea is, I'm just going to hide among the crowd. Uh, and when anybody calls me on it, I'm going to say, everybody does it. And all of this was done to compensate for the fact that they had sinned and they knew that they were wrong. The third thing that happened here is what we're preaching on tonight, and that is they sought to blame someone else. The scripture says in verse 12 and 13, the man said, the woman you have given me uh, to uh, give to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God uh, uh, said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. I want to focus in tonight on those words that Adam and Eve, when they were confronted about their sin, each blamed someone else. Adam said it was the woman. The woman said it was the serpent. I'm calling this the cry of the fallen heart tonight. It is this idea that we have this tendency to blame somebody else. There's our, our natural response is it's not my fault. Look at these quotes here. It says, if a man cuts his finger off uh, while slicing salami at work, he blames the restaurant. If a man smokes three packs a day for 40 years and dies of lung cancer, he blames the tobacco company. If your neighbor crashes into a tree while driving home drunk, he blames the bartender. That's the world that we live in today. It's never our fault. It's not hard to find a, a fancy lawyer with a, a couple initials at the beginning of his name uh, who's going to say, no matter what happened, it's not your fault. It's always somebody else's uh, fault. You know, the Bible tonight is filled with people who decided to pass the blame of their sins on to others. One day, Moses' brother Aaron is there when Moses goes up to the mountain. He's up on the mountain for 40 days. The people grow restless and they say to Aaron, make us a God that we can worship. And Aaron cooperates. Aaron takes an offering of gold. He fashions a golden calf. The people begin to worship the golden calf. Instantly, it turns into a club scene. And when Moses comes back and finds the people and over open idolatry and sin, uh, and God begins to bring judgment, he confronts his brother, and his brother says uh, that the people made me do it, that it's not me, I wasn't responsible, I'm not to blame, uh, they're to blame, uh, because it is in us uh, to always say it's not really my fault. Later on, the Bible tells us about King Saul when uh, the prophet Samuel had said to him, God wants you to 
completely destroy the Amalek people. Uh, they are a people that are defiled, plague-ridden, if you will, uh, and you're going to have to destroy them and their livestock because they're so filled with plague. And uh, the Bible says that King Saul refused to do that. He partially obeyed. Um, how many know partial obedience is called disobedience? And so he didn't do what he's supposed to do. Uh, and uh, the Bible says that when he was confronted by Samuel, uh, he again says it was the people. The people. In other words, it's not me. It's always somebody else. Uh, and then we also read the story about when uh, Elijah prayed that God would not let it rain to humble the nation of Israel that had become overrun with idolatry and Baal worship. Uh, and so it stopped raining. Um, and one day the prophet Elijah encountered the king Ahab. Ahab married a woman named Jezebel. You may have heard of her. And she had brought Baal religion into Israel, um, uh, and, and this had brought this plague. Uh, and when Elijah cover, uh, confronted him, Ahab said to him, aren't you he who troubles Israel? In other words, in the mind of Ahab, this is not my fault. This is, I'm not to blame. You're the blame for calling down judgment. I want to tell you, there are a lot of people this evening that are facing consequences. Uh, and rather than saying, you know what, I caused this, uh, they're mad at the preacher uh, for calling them out for it. Oh, you, you guys are condemning us. You guys are, uh, you hellfire and brimstone. Uh, listen, I'm not a hellfire and brimstone preacher. I may, you don't have to experience a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Amen. But there are people, they twist everything and it's, no, 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 it's your fault. I found this interesting little poem and it's actually a song, but uh, I'm going to use it as a poem because you don't want me to sing tonight. And it was written by a girl who was a hippie back in the 60s. And I don't know, she began to get her head straight, but it says this. She says, I went to my psychiatrist to be psychoanalyzed to find out why I killed the cat and blackened my husband's eyes. He laid me on a downy couch to see what he could find. And here's what he dredged up from my subconscious mind. When I was one, my mommy hid my dolly in a trunk. And so it follows naturally that I'm always drunk. At three, I had an uneasy feeling toward my brothers. And so it follows naturally I poison all my lovers. But I am happy now. I've learned the lesson that is taught that everything I do that's wrong is someone else's fault. I'm talking tonight about the ability to blame. I want to talk to you this evening, secondly, about being powerless. Because blaming others is the pathway to powerlessness. When you and I get in the habit of always shifting blame, we do not realize what we are doing to ourselves. This story that we read this evening about Adam and Eve should be an eye opener to every Christian on how not to deal with sin in our lives. By attempting to shift blame for their sin, in the end, what we're saying is, you know what, since I wasn't my fault, then I have no power not to repeat it. If, if, Okay, I lost my temper because they got me mad. Then how can we trust you when you say you're not going to lose your temper again? Because you're saying it's not in my control. And so I have no confidence. There's no ability to repent 
of something we're unwilling to take responsibility for. I almost wanted to say, are you with me? But I got to trust that you're with me right now. Amen. <laughs> we're saying that I have no say in the matter. People who walk around always blaming others are saying, I have no say in the matter. I always tell people all the time, you know, Pastor Ruby, I'm, I'm back in line because I'm, I'm bitter again. I know I got delivered, but I, I'm, I'm bitter. And, and, and I thought, why are you giving power to somebody else? Why are you allowing waking up in the morning and already deciding that your joy, your peace, your, your confidence uh, is based on what somebody else does? Powerlessness works in the person who's always having to blame somebody else and never taking responsibility for themselves. We live, unfortunately, in a world that's doing that right now. I remember back in the 70s when it became acceptable to say, well, alcoholism is a disease. Drug addiction is a disease. Or people that were acting out sexually or in perversion, well, they were born that way. And at the time, the most of people would laugh at that and say, no, don't do that. People have a wheel. People have dignity and respect. All you're teaching them is you're not, in your, in your pity, what you're doing is you're telling them that you are powerless and that you can, you're, you're stuck. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. You can't change. Now, I want you to notice in our text, because the Bible tells us there's two ways that we issue blame tonight. Number one is that we start blaming others. The Bible says that Adam blamed Eve. And I want to tell you tonight, there are always others out there that we can blame for our problems. I wonder how many marriages this evening are not doing well because somebody is absolutely convinced that it's always the other person's fault. That it's never their fault. It's always somebody else's fault. And in and their mind, you know what, uh, uh, if I was married to someone just like me, there would never be any problems. Parents blame their children. Children blame their parents. Everybody blames the boss. The bosses blame the employees. The people blame the government. The media blames the president. Everybody is blaming somebody. There's just something in us that the moment Adam is confronted, uh, he is looking for a person to say, it's not my fault. It was interesting, I read a little story. It was actually from an old Reader's Digest from 1991. It was about Colin Powell. At that time, Colin Powell was one of the uh, highest ranking generals in the United States Army. And he was a, a very interesting man because he came from a very, very poor section of New York. Uh, he had all, every disadvantage in life, um, and yet uh, he transcended all the racial prejudice and issues that are in life to become the, one of the highest ranking African Americans uh, in the United States Army. And so he went back to his own high school in the middle of the hood to speak to these kids that are living in this abject poverty and all the issues that are in urban America and with simple words, and that is uh, stay in school and stay off drugs. How I many know that's a positive message tonight? Stay in school and stay off drugs. 
But the man who wrote the article said that while he was speaking, a group of men gathered across the street from the high school. They were gangsters. They were drug dealers. They were on the other side of the street kind of mocking this whole presentation. And so some of the media went over there to talk to these men. And well, why, what, what was their grievance? And sure enough, it was, you know, it was racism. It was the government. It was teachers that were unfair and threw them out of school. It was always somebody else's fault. And that's why one man is a five-star general and the other men are lost. Because it's so easy to always blame somebody else. I appreciate Job and Mrs. Job. You know, Job and Mrs. Job one time had a, had a, had a strapped it on. And in that moment, Job made up his mind, no, 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 you're not going to determine my spirit. That you have to make up your mind that you're going to do what you're going to do. Marriage this evening is not your wife being afraid of getting you mad. Ezekiel 18, this is one of the best verses in all the Bible. It says, what do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are on edge? As I live, says the Lord, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. You know what that verse is about? Now, Ezekiel was a prophet in exile, and he was talking about how the generation of people that uh, were living in Babylon and those who remained in Israel, they basically were blaming their parents for their plight. They were basically saying, you know what, if my parents had listened to Jeremiah, we wouldn't be in this mess. And so life had moved on. Um, and he's saying to them, listen, God is tired of you blaming your problems on your parents. They ate the grapes and we're still tasting the sour grapes. I want to tell you tonight, you can cross this nation and you will find many, many people. It's the parents fault. That's why our lives are all messed up. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, I, this and that and, and as our parents and on and on and on. And God says, you know what? When you get to be 18 years old, uh, it's over. If you read Ezekiel 18, it's all about how God will not judge the father for the kid. And God won't judge the kid for the father. At some point, you have to grow up. I counsel a lot of people. And I want to tell you tonight, uh, when I sit down with somebody uh, and there's their whole conversation with me here, they are, they're 35 years old. They want to tell me about their childhood. Uh, I, I'm just waiting until I can tell them, uh, you're a grown up now. Uh, childhood was a long time ago. Uh, you need a God in the here and now. Amen. Uh, need a God that can help you right now. No more sour grapes. You can't keep blaming others for where you are right now. The second one, the Bible says, not only were they blaming others, but the Bible says Eve was blaming the devil. What did you do this for, Eve? And Eve said, uh, you know what? Uh, uh, it was the serpent's fault. Now, some of you don't know this. Most of you don't know this. But if you know this, then you're old. There used to be a comedian named Flip Wilson. And Flip Wilson was famous for saying, the devil made me do it. And every time he said it, everybody would laugh. I just said it. Nobody laughed. But uh, it was this idea that people were amused by the idea that so many people blame their lives on the devil. 
And so we laugh at that. There's the old story that a church was having a testimony service and people were standing up and giving their testimony and somebody walked out to, to get some fresh air and sitting on the front steps of the church was the devil and he was in tears crying. And the guy said, what's wrong? And he says, oh, people are in there blaming for things I had nothing to do with. I want to tell you tonight, even Christians can shape a theology that always sees the devil in everything that happens to us. I want to say there are a lot that happens. But oh, beloved, I want to tell you over the years I've met people that, you know, guys go pioneer church and they come, brother, there are more witches per capita in this uh, city than any other city in America. I was, I, I, what happened? Well, pastor, on my way to church, I passed a black cat and you know, you know what that means. There are people, they do these whole genie, they, they go to 23andMe to find out how many family, family curses are in their family, you know. There are people, you know, they, they get mad at God. Why? Por que? Mi, mi carne, señor, por que? You know, and, and their whole thing is like, you know, it's like, oh, it's unfair. Everything's against me. I want to tell you tonight, the Christian life is a victorious life. The Christian is the, is the uh, uh, ruling class of the spirit world. And yet, the Christian, it's always what the devil's doing. The devil kept me up. Pastor, the devil's lying to me. Ah, pastor, I had a dream last night. And it's always what's the devil doing. Listen tonight. Eve said, oh, it's the serpent. Yeah, I know I did it. But, but you know, if the devil would just leave me alone, I want to help you tonight. He's never going to leave you alone. But I want to tell you, God will never leave you alone either. Remember Deuteronomy 28, 13, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. That is what the position of the believer tonight. It is not that you and I, uh, you know, that, well, you know, the devil just won't leave me alone. What happened? Well, the devil won't leave me alone. So what? God says, I'll help you. I will give you victory. I thought of an old story that uh, uh, Martin Luther once was in hiding. The authorities were trying to kill him. And so he was uh, uh, staying in seclusion all by himself. And one night in the middle uh, uh, of the night, uh, uh, they heard a noise and he turned over and there was Satan uh, ready to attack him. Uh, and Martin Luther grabbed an inkwell and threw it at him and rolled over and went back to sleep. And they say today you can go to Wartburg, Germany, and they take you into the little room where you're sleeping. And there's an ink stain on the wall where Martin Luther threw an ink, block, an ink well at the devil and went back to sleep. Sometimes that's what you got to do. Sometimes you, have, you know, don't throw something, you'll hit your wife. But I'm, I'm, I'm saying that you have this attitude that, hey, you know what? Why am I letting the devil beat up on me like I'm some helpless person? Something in you, I say, you know, I'm not going to blame the devil. I'm going to let God help me. I want to talk to you finally about the power of taking responsibility tonight. Because the gospel is for the man who admits his fault. See, the power comes in taking responsibility. The power never comes when you're willing to blame somebody else. But when a man says, God, I'm the man. When Adam and Eve took off the fig leaf came out of the forest, the Bible says that God prepared a covering for them. Power and dominion come from God tonight, church. 
It does not come from you. You and I don't somehow manufacture that in ourselves by praying loud and working ourselves up in a frenzy. Power and dominion come from God, and it comes when we are willing to say, I'm the man. I'm guilty. Not to try to impress God, and I'm going to try harder. No, no, God, I'm, I'm guilty. That is where he meets us. Think about the prodigal son tonight. The prodigal son is a proud, defiant young man. He lives in a wonderful home with a great uh, father, great parents. And the Bible says he has no appreciation for that. And in defiance, he says, Father, I've done the math. I know uh, what my inheritance is. Uh, give it to me now. I don't want to wait till you die. Give it to me now. And the Bible says that the father allows this young man to take his inheritance. And then the this young man who's obviously been on Instagram uh, and seen all the exciting things that are out in the world heads out to the faraway city to go and do all the stuff that he'd been looking at on his iPad. And the Bible says he gets over there. He's got some money. So again, the world, they don't see shame. All they see is what you got. And they took every last penny from him. And guess what? A famine hit the land. All of a sudden, there's no work. All the clubs are shut down. Everybody's sheltering in place. And that young man has to find a pig farm the only job that he could get. Now, remember that this story is told to a bunch of Jewish people. A pig farm would have been the epitome of filth. And this young man ended up working for a pig farmer. And in his pride, this is what's so crazy, in his pride, all he, all he had to do was say, go home and humble himself. But oh, no, no, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and get more filthy. I wonder how many people are watching our live stream tonight. You're not saved. Uh, and, and the only thing keeping you from God is your pride. And you're getting dirtier and dirtier. And you're doing things you never thought you would do. But it's only because you refuse to go back to your father. And say, I'm the man. The reason we don't get our hearts right with God is because everything we said, well, the reason I'm backslidden is those hypocrites down at that church or that preacher or, or these gossips. And we've given a million excuses. And this young man is there and he's getting dirtier, filthier and filthier until one day he realizes what's wrong with me. My God, I am starting to hunger for things that I would have vomited about. And he realizes, what's, what am I doing? This is me. I came, he came to himself. You know what that means? It means he quit blaming everybody else. The Bible says he began to head towards his father's house, preparing his speech, trying to figure out how he could do this. And we don't know what happened. All we know is that when he got within eyeshot of the house, his father saw him and ran to him. Whatever planned speech the young man had, all we know is what he said. He said, Father, I have sinned. Not my big brother's a jerk. You were too hard on us growing up. I've sinned. He just took responsibility, man. Think about it. He's dressed in rags. He smells like a pigsty. His father would, would have been offended by what his son had become. 
But when that young man simply said, I'm, the ma- I'm guilty, it's my fault. The father immediately, the Bible says, fell on him, hugged him. You know what the Bible says he did? He had a ring right there. They got the family ring. The family ring in Bible days was like a credit card, if you will. It was as if the father gave him a debit card to the family fortune. And he said, here, my blessing and my authority comes when you take responsibility. Not when you shy away. There are people here, you're in the sound of my voice right now, and your life's a mess because you've spent your entire life blaming other people. And you have no authority, no power, no dominion in your life. And I'm telling you tonight, the Father says, I will give you a ring when you're ready to admit that you're guilty. When you're going to take responsibility. When you quit blaming your parents. When you quit blaming the person you're married to. And you say, you know what? I've sinned. I've sinned. The Father will respond to that. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And let me remind you what the word confess means. Put that up. The the, the definition of confess means to see our sin the way God sees it. That's all. Instead of making an excuse for it, just see it for what it is. Call call it what God, this is what it is. The moment we do that, God says, I'll get involved. But it starts right there. I want to leave you with one quick thought and then we'll finish tonight. And that is to scapegoat. Because in the Old Testament, God gives us a very, very powerful picture of how to deal with sin in our lives. And he wanted them to do that. Now, remember that you got to understand that Israel had a provision for sinning. In fact, the whole purpose of the tabernacle was so that they had a way to deal with sin in their lives. But they had a problem. And that problem was... Even when they dealt with it, they would go and they would offer up their sacrifice uh, and they would go through it. They would walk away, but they still felt guilty. They didn't feel free. And so God instituted this principle of the scapegoat. And it was a way for people to see that when they came clean and confessed, that something powerful happened and they could actually see their sin running away once they confessed it. I want you to look with me, Leviticus 16, verse 21. The Bible says Aaron, now Aaron was the high priest. He was the representation of the people before God. It says, Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat. Confess over it all the iniquities. That's a nice word for sin. All the sin of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. Now, I want you to think with me tonight as I finish this sermon. Here are these people, they've sinned. Can you identify with them tonight? Go to this goat. This goat would be there and then he would take his hands and he'd put it on the goat's head and then he would confess their sin. He didn't blame anybody else. They didn't say because of this. Well, I wouldn't have done it if they hadn't done that. Well, they hurt me first. 
when he confessed and he said, we're guilty. We take responsibility. It is our fault. No blaming anybody else. The Bible says, then God said one animal was taken and died. And the Bible says that they would get a young, strong man. And this young man would take this goat way off into the wilderness and then hit it. And that goat would run away and the people would be far off and they would watch all the guilt, all the shame that they were willing to be honest about run away and never be seen again. I want to tell you something tonight. That's the gospel this evening. You want your sin to be gone. It's not gone by hiding it. It's not gone when we try to blame someone else for it. But I want to tell you when you come to him, and you say, Father, I've sinned. God will meet you there. And he can take your sin away tonight. You can be washed. You can be clean. I want you to bow your heads right now. Our heads are bowed. No one... The habit of blaming everyone else for our problems. All that does is rob you of power tonight. But there is power tonight in God. But that power doesn't come by pretending or hiding or blaming. It comes by coming clean, by confessing to him. Say, God, I'm going to take responsibility. There are people watching tonight. Your heads are bowed. You're under the sound of my voice. Your life's a total mess right now. It's a total mess because you've made it a mess. I'm not trying to be a, a cruel or insensitive. I want to help you tonight. If you think, well, it's other people's fault, then what we're saying is then there's no hope for you because there's always going to be other people. But I want to tell you tonight, when you come to Christ, when you come to the Father in heaven and say, Father, I have sinned, I want to tell you, God has made provision for you. Just like when Adam and Eve came out of that garden and took off those fig leaves, and here I am, God, I'm naked, I'm ashamed, I'm guilty. The Bible says God killed an animal, took the skin of that animal, their nakedness. I want to tell you, Jesus Christ died on a cross, shed his blood to cover you tonight. You can be given a robe of righteousness. You might be a religious person and yet filled with sin. You can take off all the filthy rags and tonight be given a robe of righteousness dipped in his precious blood. When you say, Lord, I've sinned, I'm not right with God, and I want to repent. The gospel tonight is for you. And God will meet you at the point of your personal responsibility. Say, I need him. While our heads are bowed, maybe you're here tonight and you say, Pastor Ruby, I'm not right with God. I've been blaming others all my life, but it's over tonight. I'm going to come to the Father. While our heads are bowed, if that's you, I'd like you to just lift your hand right now. Put it up right where you are, in whatever living room, wherever you're at. You might be by yourself. Just put it up. And by putting up your hand, you're saying, Father, I've sinned. No more blaming anybody else. I want God to help me. I'm going to pray with you a prayer right now. And I want you to repeat this and be sincere. I want you to say, Lord Jesus, I have sinned. Tonight, I take responsibility my own sin and my own disobedience. I'm not going to blame anybody else anymore. But I'm going to look to you. I believe that Jesus Christ died for me 
and rose from the dead. And tonight I repent. I want to serve God. I'm backslidden. When I left, I blamed everybody else, but not tonight. I repent. I'm sorry. From now on, I want to live for Jesus Christ. And I want his blood cleansing me deep down on the inside. From now on, I'm going to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, tonight, if you prayed that prayer, I know the Bible says God heard you. You're no different than the prodigal son in the Bible. You know, there are Christians here, while our heads are bowed, that God's dealing with some Christians here because you have had the habit of always blaming others. And it may be affecting your marriage. It may be undermining your relationship with your parents, with your children. It may be undermining relationships with brethren in the church or your job. God's dealing with you tonight. And he's saying, it's time to take back the power in your life. That joy, peace, fulfillment only come when we take responsibility and don't give the power to others. God wants to help you tonight. And I want to encourage you to find a place to pray right where you are. And we're going to worship and sing. And for time, let God help us this evening. Hallelujah. Let's sing. Let's worship God tonight. Hallelujah.
let's give him praise. Father, tonight we worship you. We thank you uh, of your mercy and your compassion and your grace. Uh, oh, God, that you have called us uh, to walk in dominion and victory in you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. There is power tonight when we get our hearts right with God. The power flows. The Bible says to as many as received him, to them he gave power to be called the sons of God. Amen. We're going to let you go. I want to encourage you, church, to be faithful, to be responsible. Say, you know what? I'm responsible for my Christian life. I'm going to get a hold of God. I'm going to pray, read my Bible. I'm going to minister and let God use my life. I want to remind you that we will be back here on Sunday. Our Sunday school is at 945. You can have the church number on speed dial there so we can get you in in our Sunday school. Our services are at 11 and 7 o'clock. And, and uh, God has really been helping us. The reports that we're getting, uh, God's people uh, are, are, are tuning in and staying connected. And remember, I want to just remind you, this is church. This isn't a casual sermon that we kind of uh, drop in. Amen. And when it's church time, it's so important that you and I stop what we do and worship. Amen. And God will help us. Hallelujah. We're going to uh, pray and ask God's blessing in our service tonight. If you prayed tonight, you gave your life to Jesus or you're backslidden and you responded, our contact information is right there. Send us an email. Reach out to us. Uh, amen. So we can help you and pray for you. Amen. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness tonight, for your wonderful presence. Uh, and God, cover your people. Cover our houses tonight. Uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you tonight.